We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Twenty minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I could not be more excited to be joined once again. It's been far too long with the one and only Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, how the heck have you been? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm doing well. Everything's great in my life sitting here uh, mid-December, just a few weeks from uh, the holiday season. I know uh, Packers fans, you know, are, are maybe wishing this season had gone a little bit differently and have some painful weeks here to finish out. But um, it's the end of the season, a lot of time for reflection on things that have happened this season, this year. Um, and a new season, a new year is right around the corner. So there's optimistic times ahead for everyone inside and outside of this game. Um, and it's a fun time. I hope your life is going well as well. It's going great. As you mentioned, wish the, the season had been going a little bit better. The, I don't know if you know this, Ben. The Packers haven't lost in two weeks. They had the win against the Bears, the, the Chicago Bears, and they had a bye week. So they have gone undefeated in two weeks. So everything is sunshine and rainbows, and everyone is now looking at how the Packers are going to sneak into the playoffs with a 9-8 and eight record. So I haven't uh, checked the analytics over the last two weeks, but your numbers seem to check out. We'll have to you know move some things around, some some metrics later on, but I trust you on that one. We'll get the abacus out. We'll figure it all out, all the different <laughs> scenarios. But what I really wanted to start with today is obviously you get a wide breadth of all the stuff that's going on in the NFL. You get to obviously go to games, cover games for CBS. You're obviously always on top of draft stuff, you know, all the players in and out, you know, all the trends around the league. I wanted to start off today and we're going to get to a little bit of all of that, but what is your overall diagnosis of the 2022 Green Bay Packers? It clearly has not gone the way that they thought. I think the way a lot of us thought it hasn't gone according to plan. What's your overall diagnosis of the 2022 team? 
Well, certainly disappointment, and for a variety of reasons. I feel like uh, defensively, it was a bit of a disappointment on the field, execution, scheme, um, you know, getting the job done. I felt like they had adequate talent and uh, experience in the right parts and all the critical places to perform, and we had high expectations this defense would take not only a step forward, maybe two steps forward. So I think there's some defensive disappointment, and then collectively and you know reflectively offensively was a really poor plan going into the season and i think you you know you had some ingredients in the cupboard and then it was time to make the meal and you suddenly were missing a lot of flavor and you didn't have some core parts of the dish and you might not have had a dish for you know for a week or two and now you're looking for utensils and something to spice it up on the fly and i just feel like the plan going into the grocery store into the meal was askew and not the right plan. And I think that kind of unfolded as expected through September and and October uh, because of the poor preparation for the season. So twofold kind of there, a little defensively disappointed on the field with execution. And then offensively, I thought it was a really rough plan for 2022. We'll definitely get to both of those things. I want to get to defense in a little bit, but I want to start with that second part that you mentioned, some of the ingredients for this team. It felt to me... And I don't even know that I necessarily disagree with the the over or like the thought going in, but it clearly in hindsight has not worked at all. It felt to me like they went in saying, you know what, we know that this isn't a finished product. We know that some of these rookies are going to have to develop. We know that we're going to have to make a little bit of a transition of what kind of team we are in the field. No more Devontae Adams and things like that. But we think because we have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and this has been a team that's won 13 games in the past three seasons, you know, every year under Matt LaFleur, we think that even if we can get by, you know, four and four over the first eight games, that by the time week nine, week 10 rolls around, guys like Christian Watson will be much better. Romeo Dobbs will be much better. And to some extent, the second portion of that, what we're seeing now out of some of these guys like a Christian Watson has come to fruition a little bit. It's just they, I think, overestimated the first part and the fact that, you know, you don't just automatically get to four and four or whatever record you need to kind of weighed things out until you get to the point of being ready on offense and having some of these guys come along those first few weeks and really like the first what third of the season was really really rough and this offense was not ready to go out and compete at a high enough level to win football games you know I think going into 2022 you have to really do a full self-scouting reflection on the previous three years particularly the last two years of Aaron Rodgers being an MVP Because it wasn't your traditional MVP. And the thing I keep harping on is saying he was a game-managing MVP in a QB-friendly offense. A highly distributed offense that leaned on the run game. It was very foundationally built through scheme and through uh, Matt LaFleur's system. Now, that's not to say Aaron Rodgers was just going through the motions. He had to execute. But this was an offense that was well-designed for Aaron Rodgers to lean on the run game and get the ball out of his hands. And I call it a game managing because the offense was beautifully designed. And it wasn't the old Aaron Rodgers of extending the play and running around and doing all those things we saw early in his career. So the new style was surround him with parts and weapons and let him operate the system. So going into 2022, there was obviously a major setback to the parts around him. And so without the parts around him, then the system slowly gets fractured and creaked and cracked, and then you could poke it apart, and then you're trying to make changes and fixes on the fly. 
So I think it was super important for a team like the Packers, as there's other teams like this, the Eagles, the Jets, the Niners, or certain schemes where it's very foundationally, you know, built with your scheme and your offensive style and philosophy, and you better have some weapons everywhere because it's a, it's a distribution offense. Mike LaFleur runs that with the Jets. That's what Shanahan runs in the 49ers. That's what they're doing here in Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. And there's weapons all over the field for these players. Just like in Green Bay the past few years, Aaron Rodgers found a lot of weapons. He created some weapons too. You know, he created guys like Robert Tunyon and you know Alan Lazar to a certain degree and MVS and guys like that. But um, I also just felt this was a bad offensive roster heading into the season. We can talk about the youth movement. You could talk about the unpredictable development of youth, which when you rely on youth, it's going to be turbulent. There's high variance for success of youth. Some show up right away day one and look the part. Some take a year. Some take two years. Some take four years. Some take a second team. Some take new coaching. Some take a major rattle and shake in your career for you to wake up. And we've seen all that in Green Bay in different you know, varieties. So you can't expect youth to all develop and show up at the same time. There's going to be a guessing game, and you learn that on the fly. But the real issue is there are foundation players that you never once thought their job was up in the air. You never once thought, oh, should we replace him, that weren't performing up to standard this season. Incredibly inconsistent players. And that goes from guys on the O-line like Josh Myers. Inconsistent player, good player, wildly inconsistent in year three. John Runyon Jr., everyone expect him to be a guard starter. Wildly inconsistent player. There's some players on the Packers that may not be NFL starters. You know, Josiah DeGuara, A.J. Dillon, Robert Tunyon, Amari Rogers, Randall Cobb. Those are not NFL starters in today's standards. I hate to break it to you, Packers fans. Some of those guys are really good people. A.J. Dillon is a great human being. Unfortunately, I don't think he's a playmaking running back in the NFL. He's not. Same with Josiah DeGuara, Robert Tunyon. I know at 12 touchdowns. He didn't create a lot of those for himself, you know, winning in man-to-man coverage and using his skill set. A lot of it was manufactured touches off the scheme and, you know, um, schematically created openings. And he capitalized and caught the football. Great. He's not a traditional wide tight end. He's not an exceptional athlete. So what, what I'm getting at here is, the plan for 2022 on the offensive side was too much dependent on youth. And then there were some cornerstone players that just did not develop and show up uh, like we expected this season. We, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter, I know as well, but we haven't had a chance to chat about it in person. But when you end up with a team of players that have a wide degree of variance and inconsistencies in their level of play, meaning that you could get an A or an F on any given day and on any given down, you can certainly easily clearly live with a few of those players on your roster. If it was like, you know, Quay Walker on defense and maybe like a, you know, Josh or like a John Runyon Jr. on offense, right? If you had one guy on each side of the ball that has kind of that high variance of play and some days you're going to get really good. Some days you're going to get not so good. You can live with that. But when you've got a team full of high variance players, and I would say Darnell Savage and Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas, uh, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, uh, we could even go more on the defensive line. JJ Inigbare, on the offense, J- Josh Myers, John Runyon Jr. But then, Andy, team. when you have standards for players like Adrian Amos, Devondre Campbell, exactly. guys like that that aren't living up to it, in combination with the young guys like the old line yep. I mentioned, Runyon and Myers. Well, that's on a line where we're trying to play Royce Newman and Josh Nijeman and other the other three guys are incredibly volatile and trying to figure it out. 
So it's like the guys you come to expect to perform weren't performing. I totally agreed. And when you have a whole team of those, and we know that like just if one of those players messes up on a given play, it can result in disastrous circumstances and, and huge plays or negative plays one way or the other. Now you've got like what can happen, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, is like on one play, 10 guys will be doing their job and then just one guy messes it up. And then the next play, it's a different guy. And the next play, it's a different guy. And all of a sudden you've got 40 plays offense and defense that just, you know, maybe one or two guys messed up, but like it throws a wrench into everything you're doing. So I I completely agree with you. Just extreme volatility and inconsistency by not only the young players, but some of the guys we've come to expect to lean on through the past few years for the Packers. Yeah, absolutely. And and looking ahead to the, you know, the next few seasons and the state of this roster moving on. It's a fascinating kind of uh exercise to dive into what this team's going to look like. Fascinating is a fascinating word to use in that situation. <laughs> Before we we've got a lot of things that I'm sure we are going to discuss that are not so great about this team that needs some improvement, that needs some fixing. But on the outside looking in as well and just kind of what you've seen is there anything that you are excited about for this team moving forward? Any positives that we can take away from what we've seen through 13 games so far? Well, I think just collectively, I'm excited about change. I don't think this is in a current state that you could just, quote, run it back. Or right. let's re-rack and get healthy and let's see where the, you know, the, the cards fall next season. This team needs some changes. I'm excited for change. And that's kind of a collective cop-out, but I'm excited for change. That's a really good answer. I think the 2023 offseason is going to be a franchise altering offseason one way or the other, because let's just say for devil's advocate's sake that they don't do what you're saying and they don't make a ton of changes and they try to run this back and borrow more money from the future and come back with an Aaron Rodgers and all the sort of the same stuff. They're not going to be able to do it to the same degree. They're going to lose some players even doing that. But that is still a franchise altering decision in trying to, you know, force this window open a sliver for a year or two longer, which in my opinion is probably the worst thing that they can possibly do. That to me is still a franchise altering decision. If they go in the opposite direction and say, hey, we need a major Band-Aid rip and we need to start getting our salary cap back under control. We need to start playing some younger players. We need to get some assets in here that can be, uh, you know, long-term players for us, that is a franchise altering move. And if they go somewhere in the middle and maybe it's like, Hey, we're going to go to Jordan love, but we still want to keep all of this together, or we're going to keep Aaron Rodgers, but we're going to try to surround him with youth. Even that to me is somewhat of a franchise altering decision. So um, either way to me, this is a major franchise altering offseason for green Bay. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of times, Andy, we talk about, um, you know, veteran players on the backside of their career and then the whole idea of signing them being a year early or a year late. You know, it's talking about their diminishing ability where you'd rather see that a year ahead than go through that growing pain year of realizing they can't play anymore. I think, you know, contending windows have that same conversation. Would you rather be a year early on that or a year late on that? Because if you're a year late, that just means you're one more year behind the eight ball in rebuilding, retooling, and starting that cycle all over again. Totally agreed. And you can make an argument they're already a year late and trying to extend this further would now set them two years late, three years late, et cetera. So exactly. going to be a very interesting offseason. I want to go back to your conversation a little bit earlier about the defensive issues because that's clearly one of the major issues. I think a lot of people, myself included, thought that this would be a team that would at least have a chance to compete as being a top 10 defense. 
I would be willing to give them a little bit more of a cop out if Rashawn Gary was lost early in the season and, or like, even if it was, you know, week 10, he goes down and they were looking like a top 10 defense prior to that, but they weren't. Um, and then Rashawn Gary goes down, things get even worse after that. This is not a defense that has been up to the standard that I think we were expecting. You mentioned it's a little bit personnel. You mentioned that it's a little bit scheme. What to you has been the biggest issue with this defense this season? You know, it's a, it's a combination of everything. I think we want to point to a singular issue, and there rarely is in these situations. So um, that's one of the more coveted and desired things from fans on the outside of these conversations is what's wrong, and it's a singular thing. It's a lot of different things, it's multiple yeah. things, maybe double-digit things. So, um, you know, we could talk ad nauseum about it, but I think you set it up a lot. I think, you know, where there was some diminishing ability from veterans like Campbell and, you know, Adrian Amos. There were some young players with growing pains on the fly, whether, you know, a Stokes, you know, Devontae Wyatt, you know, Quay Walker, guys like that. Um, the injuries, obviously. And then just expectations, you know, guys like Jair Alexander, you know, you expect guys like that to be reliable, to be consistent, um, to maybe not always give you an A performance, but you're never going to get a C performance out of him. And that's what you want when you pay these stars is, yes, we hope those A flashes. Don't you dare ever go below a B minus, though. And you had way too much fluctuation from players that were never questioned on whether they were going to be starters or involved or major factors on this team. Talked about the offensive guys. Same thing on defense. It goes for Savage. It goes for Amos. It goes for the linebackers. It goes for the corners. You know, the D-line is kind of a rotational ball of clay, and it's a, you know, kind of a work in progress with some young guys and vets and things like that. But that back seven was incredibly disappointing this year. I think that maybe the easier way to put it is it'd be a lot harder to point to something on defense that's going right, right? Like mm -hmm. on the defensive line, you're not holding up at the point of attack in the run game. You're not getting pressure on the interior at edge. Rashawn Gary going out certainly hurt things, but there were some edge issues even in the run game prior to that. And then without Gary, Preston, and Igbari, you'll see a flash every now and again, but you're not certainly getting consistent pressure on the outside. Inside linebackers haven't held up at the point of attack. You saw diminishing returns from Campbell, as you mentioned. Corners on the other. I mean, then week one, Minnesota, you're going against Justin Jefferson and company. You're not communicating on the back end at all to pass off things and to just have a, a common level of communication where you can play defense in a zone the way that you want to. We see the same things pop up against the Titans. We see the same thing pop up against the Eagles in week 12, week 11, week 13, et cetera, where those things aren't improving. Adrian Amos looks a step slower. Savage just never came to, to the plate and stepped up this season at all. And then the scheme too, like, there's certain things on the, the scheme that you see that you just don't like. I think when you had pointed it out early in the season where it, what, what it took them like a month before they blitz somebody from depth. Um, and yeah, there was maybe some five man rushes where they had five guys at the line of scrimmage, but wasn't really a true blitz. And there's some of the most vanilla football you could possibly imagine just trying to win with four guys. You, you always make the comment of like offense doesn't need to be hard. Right. Uh, sometimes on defense, like, Maybe it's not like you, it doesn't have to be hard, but like you can't simplify it to the level of just like the offense knows what's coming every single time. And you're like, it was just as vanilla and bland as you could possibly imagine. There's there's just so many things that you could point to defensively. And I don't think I can point to one of them of like, I feel pretty good about that moving forward. Yeah. You know, and I actually like vanilla bland, but in a slightly different package. And I think the best defenses around the league are playing very vanilla schemes 
but getting to it very exotically and disguising things. And that's really the name of the game is preventing big plays, playing cover two, keeping it in front of you, but just trying to disguise looks. And, you know, maybe it's a four-man rush, but you're not always bringing the same four and they come from different spots. And that's how Tennessee plays. That's how Cincy plays. That's how a lot of these really strong, veteran, disciplined units play across the league. I'm okay with that, but you got to be a little exotic. You got to move things around, change post-snap pictures. But starting week one with, you know, confusions on the back end, they didn't earn the right to disguise things. They had to recalibrate, get on the same page, and almost dumb themselves down a little bit. And then the next thing you know, they're vanilla pre-snap into vanilla post-snap, and suddenly you're sitting there with a bowl of melted ice cream. I also think Green Bay needs to do a little bit better of a job of marrying the personnel with the scheme, meaning that – I, I'm with you. I don't mind playing, you know, two safeties high and keeping everything in front of you. You better have players who can tackle on the back end. And you've got a Darnell Savage and a Jair Alexander and an Eric Stokes starting on your defensive secondary that none of which are strong tacklers on the back end. Adrian Amos, a step slower, not getting to his spots. It's not a team that rallies to the football very, very well. Like if you're going to be a C player, go hit player team. You better have C player, go hit player players. And they're just not married up very well right now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah, you see that on a weekly basis. And a lot of that starts with your stars, the guys you've paid money. And it starts with guys like Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos and um, Darnell Savage and first round picks. And you're going to play a quarter scheme like that. And you have forced corners out there and safeties flying down at run support. I promise you, Packers fans, go on PFF, go watch every 15 plus yard play this season in the run game and see where a player could have made the tackle because he was unblocked. Promise you, you'll be shocked at some of the players that it was, and you'll be shocked at just how disappointing you'll be in the effort and the execution, the technique of some cornerstone veteran players that you might be wearing your, their jersey while you're watching it, for all I know. Um, it's those types of players, and that that disappoints you and really sets your team back to be competitive. 
Your stars need to be stars and green. No Bay question. Stars well said. Been that. Um, you've had the opportunity to be very close to a Philadelphia Eagles team that has been highly successful this season. And as mentioned earlier, you're always keeping tabs in the trends around the league. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in the NFL this year from some of the highly successful football teams? And then maybe balance that out with some of the things that we haven't seen from the Packers this year. Well, from a big picture standpoint and, you know, roster building, it's a 365, 24 seven job to constantly improve your roster. And there are a few people and teams that do it better than Howie Roseman, the Eagles here. So one of the more active GMs and, you know, personnel executives out there, not only in the season, off season, trading, acquiring future talent, um, looking to improve your roster every day of his life. And you really see it and you feel it. And this roster in 2022 reflects it. And it's just a never sleep type of job. And I think a lot of the teams around the league do that, whether it's Buffalo or Kansas City's making moves, um, you know, in the middle of the season to get stronger and fix holes on their roster. San Francisco is very aware they need a weapons around those quarterbacks. And if you see a sniff of a weapon out there, let's go get them and make our team better. So it's that constant, aggressive approach to make your roster better. Now, the other side of that, they make mistakes, too. Every team makes mistakes. Every team makes personnel you know, decisions that don't work out. But the timeline in which you fix those mistakes is different for everybody. Some want to hold on to that and mold it and shove that square peg through the round hole by all means. And it may take three, four, five years because you want to commit to it. Bit of the sunken costs and that you're already yeah. committed. You might as well you know, try to get the, the, the payoff on the ROI on the back end. Some teams can see it. And then let's snip and cut bait as soon as we can. And I just feel in Green Bay, this has not been a team that's been particularly aggressive for roster improvements and not particularly aggressive to fix mistakes when they seemingly don't make the right decision or the right signing. So you let some of those things fester and that can really set your team back to the point when there are mistakes being made in Green Bay. I don't know where the accountability lies. I don't know who the decision maker is. Um, to get out from those potential missteps from the GM to the president, to the coach, to the players. I have no idea how Green Bay operates. In my head, Andy, it's like eight power people, and they're all at the same table saying, how do we fix this? Someone is, has to fire themselves, apparently. Um, so I see some guys that have not performed to particularly my standards and the reflection of NFL standards across the league. I just do not know what the accountability hierarchy is in Green Bay to fix mistakes when they happened. And there are a lot of mistakes with this team. There is. I think on the second part of that, I think a great example is Darnell Savage, right? Like former first round pick, all had high hopes for him, really struggles this past season in 2021 under Joe Barry. Thought he had an okay 2020. And then um, they have the fifth year option. And they decide to pick it up. And now you bench him uh, basically right before he gets hurt this year. They end up benching him, um, making him basically the dime defensive back. And uh, now he's guaranteed all next year. His full salary is guaranteed. The only way you can basically get out of that is by trading him. You're probably going to have to add draft capital on top of that to get out of that salary. That is a massive sunken cost. I didn't like the the fifth year option at the time. It looks even worse now. And that's one of those of like, hey, we got we spent the first round pick on him and we want to try to get the ROI. We think he can be a good player. 
And he just hasn't shown that. And he's been wildly inconsistent, never really earning that. And then when you give a player a fifth year guaranteed deal going into his fourth season, when he's coming off a poor third year, like what incentive does he have to improve in his fourth year? He's like, oh, well, I must be doing a good job because I just got my fifth year guaranteed when it was actually quite the opposite. Um, I was a little bit um, hopeful. I mean, hopeful is the wrong word, but like I was at least happy to see, even though it took too long, that they moved on from Amari Rogers midseason, that maybe there's at least some willingness to do that. But even that took what is fifth? fumble on yeah on that's team. not like something i'm patting the team on the back Agreed. because they finally finally uh, agree have finally were fed up with it we're all sitting here saying that should have, should have been a month ago or in the off season <laughs> totally totally agreed and then on the flip side what you mentioned at the onset like how many times have we seen green bay do something like the eagles have done where all right defensive lines getting beat up a little bit you know what not only we're going to go get indomitian sue we're going to get linval joseph we're going to bring in two guys that have veteran experience will it work out don't know. Maybe they're going to be rusty. Maybe they're not going to be the same players they were, but we're going to try. We're going to try something different. We're going to get two veterans in. Green Bay's never done anything like that when they've had the opportunities in, even in must win. Yeah, they traded seasons. for Robert Quinn in September. They traded for Chauncey Gardner Johnson a week before, before the, season, the season, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like you do those things, the Buffalo Bills, right? They would, I'm sure, love to have a little bit more explosivity on offense, even though they have a Stefan Diggs, even though they've got some explosive playmakers. What do they do just recently? They bring John Brown to the practice squad. They bring Cole Beasley to the practice squad. Maybe neither of those guys worked out. Traded for Naheem Hines last month. Exactly. Right. They go when when they drafted James Cook and they have Devin Singletary. Nobody said, oh, we already have two running backs. Nobody cares. Add weapons around your superstar quarterback. And especially when you have the opportunity to go out and win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying Green Bay necessarily should have done that this year. In fact, one of the most concerning things to me is that they almost gave up probably what amounts to an early second round pick for Chase Claypool when this season was already a sunken cost. That would have been one of the worst things that could have happened. But um, yeah, like they had those opportunities in the last three years. They didn't really pounce on them when they should have. If they could have gone all in the two, you know, two of the previous seasons, and yeah, they would have been in a worse situation in 2022. That's okay. They're already in a bad situation in 2022. I would rather have had you go and get a couple more playmakers in 2020 and 2021 that maybe could have got them over the top against Tampa Bay and San Francisco and maybe make a run in those years and we're and still be a little bit worse this year. That, that's fine. No big deal. No harm, no foul. But uh, it feels like, unfortunately, that that window has passed. Yeah, you could have made an offer for Amari Cooper, you know, a year and a half ago. You could have went and got a Juju and, you know, gave him a little extra money in free agency. There's players out there, you know, to, to make aggressive strides. I feel like Green Bay has always been the, the bargain buyer in free agency. And you fall into some good ones. Adrian Amos, great. You know, he worked out for a few years. Andre Campbell, huge season last year. That's great. You know, Preston Smith, they were never the coveted free agents of the class always seems like we're looking for that b style free agent and all these were free agent type of conversations we just had i'm not trying to go through the draft pick by draft pick type of a you know analysis and post-mortem but there's been some very interesting drafts as well and it's a philosophical thing on how do you evaluate the draft you do you evaluate the misses or the hits i'm a misses type of guy and i don't want to do a pick by pick oh they could have had him not many people in the league had Sean Runyon as a third-round pick. Not a lot of people had A.J. Dillon as a second-round pick. Not a lot of teams pick punters and long snappers in the same draft. Not a lot of teams trade up for a quarterback, you know, after an NFC championship appearance. You know, things like that. There's some very interesting decisions as well 
Um, not a lot of people go 24-year-old defensive lineman and, and an off-ball linebacker in the first round last year with a you know a contending team and then trade up for a receiver and you could look at all the moves they could have made. I don't know if I want to go down that road, but you know I think we're just poking and prodding at the inconsistency and the lack of aggressiveness to build this roster in a 365, 24-7 capacity, and it's in comparison to the teams that are doing it. And there's a gold standard set, and everything is a reflection on the gold standard in this league. Well, there's good news. I did that episode earlier this week of breaking down the draft and what they could have oh, done. Great. So we well, already got that, that taken care yeah. of. But I do, want, I do want to ask you just kind of your overarching thoughts on this draft class. Uh, first round picks, as you mentioned, maybe not so great. Second round, Christian Watson uh, has certainly been performing well as of late. Romeo Dobbs shown flashes, Zach Tom shown flashes, and Igbari shown flashes. What's your uh, overall take on this draft class so far, even though it's still very early? Yeah, you literally just went right down my list right there. You know, <laughs> and, and Abari, nice day three rusher and a fourth, fifth defensive end in a group. And I think that's what you want for a guy coming off the bench, instant quarterback, hunting, energy, effort. You know, he's an infectious presence that you want in day three. Great pick. Zach Tom, nice piece, versatile. We've seen his ability to play different spots. Let's keep him on the edge at tackle. Um, you know, so he's a nice piece. Christian Watson, nice speed piece. We'll see if he could come in to be in an, an every down type of receiver at all three levels. Quay and Devontae White and the Georgia boys, a little overdrafted in my opinion, a little disappointing for their production and their impacts. Um, you know, we already touched on the Sean Ryan picks and, you know, other things like that. Um, you know, I hope for Romeo Dubs and Samari Torre to fill out the receiver room, but it has to be a balance. And as you bring up the youth, you better compound that with some veteran presence. The Sammy Watkins experiment didn't work out. Okay. Um, you know, we, and we kind of move on from here. So there's some nice players. I see some flashes of some really strong play. Christian Watson looks like he could be a game breaking type of player. Um, in my opinion, is he closer to Devonte Adams or an MVS? Probably going to be an MVS type of player, um, but it's not to say he can't be an all-world game-breaking receiver. I don't particularly see that, and that's okay. There's a place for a speed dynamic over the top threat, or a, you know, put the ball in his hands threat. Really excited for what he's shown this year. Yeah, I think there's some things to be excited about, but it's going to take time to develop these players and it's going to take consistency. I go, I just go back to Eric Stokes in 2021 who showed some serious flashes. And then 2022, it came out and didn't really do much, you know, prior to getting hurt. So right. you can't just do it one year. You can't just do it for four games. You have to, as Mike McCarthy liked to say, stack success over and over and become a consistent player. That's when you can start getting, you know, compared to some of the Devonte Adamses and things like that in the league, you just got to do it on almost an every week basis. Uh, real quick, your thoughts on a we, – we talked about this offseason being a potential uh, potential just franchise-altering offseason. They've got maybe the biggest challenge or decision that you could possibly have with two quarterbacks in Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Jordan Love now having the fifth-year option uh, come up this offseason. He's going to want to at least have the opportunity to start somewhere. If not in Green Bay, the, the report is he may ask for a trade. Then of course you've got Aaron Rodgers who hasn't really played up to his you know MVP standard, even the game manager MVP standard this year. But a lot of that was what was surrounded him. Some of the injuries played a part as well. What do you do going forward, Ben? You know it's a fascinating team. You know when you drafted Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers had no power. That's when he said the whole future is not up to me. I guess you just took yeah. a first round quarterback, traded up. That typically means you're going to him at some point. Then you extend Rodgers with really no out. 
Now Jordan Love has no future with this team. So essentially being held hostage, his career has been held hostage for four years. And that's what I meant two years ago. I don't know if I was talking to you or Peter about Aaron Rodgers also advocating for Jordan Love through his, you know, through the whole dysfunction of the team because Aaron Rodgers knows this young 21, 22 year old quarterback thinks he could play in this league. You know, teams wanted this kid, you know, and now we're sitting him behind me. No, he's not playing ahead of me as long as I'm here. So who is it going to be? Why did you take this kid then? And now we're sitting here three, four years later of saying, where is this all going? Because Aaron Rodgers has a huge number for next year. The team can't get out of unless he retires. So it's trade Rodgers, wait for him to retire, come back with him next year. Then what do you do with Jordan Love? You're going to have a first-round quarterback you traded up for that's been on ice for four or five years. You pick up his option. Like, I don't know what to do with this situation. And this, you could foresee this down the road, you know, yeah. from them making this de- decision. And, you know, it's going to be a rough offseason. This might be a blow up offseason, too, because the high dollar players, Kenny Clark, Bakhtiari, Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, they might not all be here next year. And, you know, based on their age and play and impact and, you know, presence and personalities, not a lot of people want to pay a nose tackle. Not a, pe- a lot of people think, you know, Bakhtiari has anything left. Not a lot of people think Aaron Jones is worthy of that contract. Jair have, obviously didn't live up to it. And they have to pay Rashawn Gary. I think they have to pay Elton Jenkins. You know, so there's some really tough decisions coming down the pipe here. Fans may not like it. There's a lot of really good people. I love Aaron Jones. I love Kenny Clark. There's a chance they're not here next year. And that's uh, the reality of this league. And that should be a good thing to Packers fans. There's some band-aids that need to be ripped off and there's going to be some arm hair coming with it. So rip that thing off as hard as you can. And let's start moving towards the future and, and fixing this with change and change is needed. It, it, I've said for a while now, it feels like it's going to have to get a lot worse before it can get better. And you just have to, you have to take your medicine. And like you said, that the, we talked about a little bit ago, I think the worst thing this team could do is try to do this again. It just, we like, it did not go anywhere near according to plan this year. And trying to do that again in 2023 is probably by far and away the worst case scenario. So uh, there's going to be some pain along the way, but they're going to have to take their medicine and rip the bandaid, whatever metaphor you want to use, get over it and start that, you know, whether it's a soft rebuild, a hard rebuild, doesn't matter. I don't care. Just, but they got to start somewhere and it has to start this off season. All right, Ben, we talked about uh, some of the diagnosis, some of the things that are wrong. We talked about some of the things that they're probably going to need to fix moving forward. Any other things that you think that this team needs to address or any other final thoughts before we get out of here and uh, watch four more games of this Packers team before we move on to a crazy offseason? Collectively, I think they need a true presence on the football side for management. Um, I don't think that's Mark Murphy. I think there's too many people sitting at the table of leadership without somebody authoritative over top of that boardroom. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's some big names and big heads that have to fall. Um, I think the GM may be a candidate to go. I think the defensive coordinator could be a candidate to go. I don't know who makes those decisions. And that's not, and I know this is coming out, That's not how we do things has always been the moniker out of the front office. This is how we do things in green Bay. We do things differently. So I don't know what to make of this. Could this year be that one, you know, earthquake to rattle their way of doing things change is needed. And I look forward to the future. 
I look forward to the strides and moves they make in those per- potential changes, and uh, we'll evaluate them uh, accordingly. Um, this is a fascinating team for a variety of reasons. We just listed roster, you know, front office, players, coaches, um, management, things like that. It's a fascinating team. I don't have a whole lot of answers, but I am excited. I have my popcorn ready to follow this ride. <laughs> there's there's a lot of questions. There's not a ton of answers. You can see me smiling from ear to ear because I love this stuff. Like me too. Like, yeah. People have asked me, they're like, oh, this this must suck covering the team right now because they're four or five and eight, and like there's not much to like hope, and people are probably not. I'm like, dude, like this stuff is super fun. Like this is really intriguing to me because this is where like, like you get some of these major shifts in organizational structure and who does. And like when you have so much invested into a team and it doesn't go according to plan and you don't get the ROI that you were expected, something went wrong. And that means either the evaluation of the players that you paid all the money to and gave a bunch of first round picks for didn't go right, which means that your GM got things wrong, which means you need to change a GM or the players were right. You made the right evaluations and the coaches didn't get the most out of those players that you made the right evaluations on. <laughs> and that means the coaches need to change. Right. And it's probably somewhere in the middle as it always is. It's probably some on the GM, some of the coaches, but when you put so much in to this team and you don't get the results, man, something has to change, right? Like you said, change, change, change. It's the the key word I think that we're taking away from today. But no, I am am geeked out to see what transpires over this next, however long it takes, because (laughs) the decisions on some of their free agents, their decisions on some of their key players, quarterback, GM, defensive coordinator, how this team looks in 2023 compared to what they are right now, massively interested to me, interesting to me. And I, I couldn't be more excited. It's, it's why sports are so much fun to evaluate. You know, it's, it's a machine and it's the people building the team. It's the coaches orchestrating the players, the players performing. Where do you divvy up the credit? You look last year, do you give the credit to the Florida Rogers? You'd still argue that it's a fun conversation. Same thing goes for, you know, when things go wrong, who do you pit the accountability to? It's rarely a singular thing. Like we always keep harping on, but remember, Fans live in the world of wins and losses. It affects their Monday when they have losses and they're angry. We live in the world of analysis. If they're 0 and 16, some fascinating things to talk about. 0 and 16. If they're 16 and 0, there's some fascinating things. So the emotionality of fans is where things go sour when you have seasons like this. When you're in the business of wins and losses, yeah, those losses aren't aren't fun days. So we like to say. We're in the business of analysis, and we're always just going to give you a snapshot of what we're seeing in the picture. And there's always pictures and themes and conversations and uh, avenues to to evaluate. And none of that ends. You know, you want to talk about Bill Walsh or Joe Montana when we get off the call? We can still have that conversation. So that's why sports and football in particular, it's it's just great chatter. And that's I'll, we'll end with this, but that the, that's why the offseason in the NFL is king, right? Because when you have a 17-game season and you start off like two and four, you're you're already like, all right, I'm like, I don't I don't even know like what I want to put into this season. <laughs> but immediately that season ends, and you've got from whatever January, whatever, up until September, whatever, where hope just springs eternal. And you immediately turn the page as a fan and you start getting excited for all right, what can we get in free agency and what can we get in the draft? And what's the new defensive coordinator look like? And oh, we got a new inside linebackers coach. What is that <laughs> gonna mean? And like everything is just hope, 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 hope. And then all of a sudden you get to two and four and you're like, all right. 
like everyone needs to get fired and it just you, the whole cycle starts over it's a fun process i love it ben and i love hey, the off covered. the off season festers and blossoms optimism and <laughs> exactly. i think when you get to this point in december you're just scratching and clawing to get to that <laughs> off season and have that spring blooming and everything's nice and you're undefeated in training camp and everything looks good in august and then the bolts start flying. You say, what the heck is going on out here, guys? What are we preparing for? We got so-and-so on the front lines. We got no artillery. We got a poor plan here. What were we thinking? So, yeah, sometimes you need some live bullets and to get punched in the face to realize you have a glass jaw. And you need to make some changes. Ben, amazing stuff as always. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us today. Ben, anything you want to plug on the way out? No, not particularly. Uh, you know, keep following along uh, our Philadelphia Eagles season here, Packers fans, as uh, that season on Green Bay is probably coming to a close here. I'm uh, going to be heading over to NFL Network next month to continue my draft coverage uh, with Daniel Jeremiah, the Senior Bowl, the Combine draft. Uh, always looking ahead to the next class. I know Packers fans may be peeking ahead, so be sure to check out my uh, timeline on Twitter and all the content draft-related. It's coming soon. Are you still doing a lot with Journey to the Draft podcast too? Yep, weekly with Fran Duffy here at the Philadelphia Eagles, Dane Brugler, so some good guests on a week to week basis. I know uh, Packers fans don't love listening to those draft podcasts in November, December, but uh, but pick it up. It's a fun class. There should be some players and parts to help us out next year. They might be a little bit more willing in 2022 than they were in 2019 through <laughs> 2021, to say the least. But where do they where do they stand with the first round pick right now? Like 11, 12, 13, probably I think early 14 teens. 14 is the most recent. I think they Perfect, were right in no up. man's land, right? No man's yeah, land. Big Great. Time. <laughs> uh, I, I mentioned if everything, if, if all the Vegas favorites win from here on out, they will finish a game out of the playoffs with a 16th pick in the draft, which is just the chef kiss most yeah, worst right. thing that can possibly happen, of course. But uh, we'll see. Maybe they go on four. Maybe they go four and oh. That is another interesting part of the season. But Ben, great stuff as always. Again, make sure to follow everything Ben does. Uh, but that does it for us today. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.